Welcome to Asians in the Spotlight, where a podcast branching off of Asian Advocates, a youth-led organization that is dedicated to amplifying Asian voices. Asians in the Spotlight is created using Anchor, a free platform of tools that allow users to record and edit audios to create their own podcasts. Anchor will also distribute your podcast across all platforms for others to listen to. Do not forget to follow Asian Advocates and Asians in the Spotlight on all our socials, including Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. This is the first episode of our first podcast series, Agents in the Political Field. In this episode, you will get to listen in as our co-hosts, Lisa Wan and Sandy Chun, interview Alex Lee, who is a candidate running for State Assembly for California's District 25. Hi everyone, I'm Lisa, your co-host today. Hi everyone, I'm Sandy, your other co-host today. And today we have with us here the State Assembly candidate for the 25th District of California, Alex Lee. Alex, it's so great to have the opportunity to speak with you. Would you like to briefly introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, yeah, well, I'm really honored to be on one of your first episodes. This is a great honor. Uh, my name is Alex Lee. I'm running as a Democratic nominee for uh, California State Assembly District 25. That's for our state house, and that's in the San Francisco Bay Area. So really happy to join you all. Thank you so much, Alex. Um, so we're just going to get started with our first question today. So yeah. could you tell us a little bit about your educational background, um, what you majored in in college, and the degree or degrees that you have? Yeah, yeah. So I graduated in 2017 from the University of California, Davis. I studied, I had two majors. I had double major. I studied political science and communications, uh, both of them were BAs, Bachelor of Arts. Uh, and, you know, even at Davis is where I got my start kind of in, in governing and government and politics. Um, I was a student body president there in my senior year, my junior, senior year, um, because it kind of overlaps like that. And I also started uh, doing internships and working in the state capital and politics then too. So that's how I got my start. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Sandy, do you have a question? Oh, so when we were researching you, um, <laughs> we found out that you, during your time at um, University of California, Davis, you were a member of the School of Vietnamese Student Association and the Sorry. internal vice president of the Taiwanese American Organization. Mm -hmm. Has being in those clubs or societies helped you find your own Asian community on campus? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I am neither Vietnamese nor Taiwanese, so it is kind of funny that, you know, I gravitate <laughs> towards those groups, but there really was no, uh, well, there's no like Pan-Asian or, or specifically Cantonese kind of American groups, right? But I did find a lot of commonality with that, even though, you know, I think obviously there's so many different cultures and experiences within the Asian diaspora, but, you know, relating to someone as if you're, you're, if you're second gen or first gen Asian American, it's so much more universal that experience. And I really do think finding that common ground in the Taiwanese American organization, the Vietnamese Student Association was really helpful because that's where I found a lot of my friends too. And that's how I just bonded with people. And, you know, you have shared cultural experience that helps. Um, yeah, thinking back to it, yeah, that's actually where I, I got a lot of um, lifelong friends I still keep up with are from those clubs, too. Yeah, that's really awesome. 
Um, yeah, so having attended public schools your entire life, uh, what is your view of the treatment of students belonging to marginalized communities in the public school system by authorities as well as students? And also like if you've ever had those kind of encounters yourself, like you've mm -hmm. shared about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I graduated high school in 2013, so seven years ago now. Uh, feels like a lifetime ago to people, you know, our age, but it's like, you know, when I tell that to older people who are like 40 plus, they're like, that's like nothing to say the time, right? But that's, it's, it's a long time for us, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what I recall, and I feel like things have only gotten worse than what I've seen is, we all know, that, you know, there's a school to prison pipeline, right? Where people even have early students, I should say, students at very early age who are identified as perhaps not succeeding in this very regimented uniform system are going to end up probably in a different system, in the justice system, right, unfortunately. And, you know, even at my school, Milpitas High School, I had that very strong feeling where it's like, sometimes it's like, I'm not sure if I'm at school or prison, you know, and sometimes, mm -hmm. especially to, you know, kids of color, um, you know, you know, when they put up chain link fences and they have guards posted around and stuff, it's like, feels more and more prison-like. And, you know, today I was actually looking at some of the stats in my school, in my, I'm sorry, in my uh, assembly district for all the high schools. And across the board, the metrics are very bad for black students, Latinx students, uh, Asian students are doing okay, pretty average. Uh, but, and, you know, it's, it's not great, you know. I have the fortune that I grew up in an area and my assembly district also is one of the only plurality API, Asian Pacific Islander majority pluralities I should say, mm -hmm. district, which means they are the most, but not 50 plus uh, 1%. So there are a lot of, you know, uh, Asian cultures here. So we do also enjoy a lot of success in academics and economics, I think, but we are still being left behind in a lot of the metrics, you know, and mm -hmm. It's unfortunate that not every culture within our very diverse community is succeeding. Like some of the, when I look at the stats for, especially the black community, it's doing black ch children, especially very poorly in our school districts. Mm -hmm. uh, they're being left behind. So, yeah, that's pretty appalling. I don't know if, you know, anyone else can relate to, to this, but I think growing up in the school, in the schools, I don't think I had any specifically horrible, horrible experiences that I can recall besides that feeling that, you know, you're, in a, in a uh, prison light almost situation, a light prison. Uh, but I d had seen, you know, students, especially students who were black or students who were Latino uh, that were mistreated by, by faculty or even like, you know, the security people, you know, it's like, because once you're profiled as, you know, quote unquote, a bad kid, right? That kind of follows you, right? So you interpret their actions that way. And sometimes, you know, there is some privilege in, in who we are as Asian Americans that, you know, there's that model minority stereotype, right? You put on them, they're, they're good kids. So they won't interpret some, sometimes a similar behavior, right? They won't interpret it as, as a, uh, they get to punish us badly. So I think there is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of room to, to improve on this front. And we're having debates about this currently in our area. We are having a very lively, you know, debates about uh, cops on schools or otherwise known as student resource officers, sorry, campus resource officers, student resource officers, SROs. Um, on campuses, and that's quite a centerpiece of debate too. So um, mm. there's a lot to be done. Lots of yeah, yeah. And just like really quick comment, like yeah. um, being from New York City, I don't know if Sandy you can relate, but um, New York City is really diverse. And in my school, uh, there's you know you see everyone, um, any kind of uh, age group. I mean, you know, demographics is is, is very diverse. And even then, there's a lot of 
animosity towards people of color, um, even like towards the LGBT community. There's a lot of, um, yeah, stereotypes that goes around. You mentioned model minority myth. I think that's really like, I see that a lot. Um, like I've gotten those kinds of jokes like <laughs> growing up, even though I was like, um, I don't think so, but you know, I don't, yeah. But it's definitely a conversation that's uncomfortable and definitely needs to be, you know, talked about more so. Yeah, thank you for sharing about your experiences. Yeah, so next question is um, just about your career in politics. What made you decide that you wanted to go about this route? Yeah, um, as corny as it may sound, I've always wanted to do something that helps people. Mm. You know, when I was applying for colleges in 2012, 2012, that was the fall of 2012. Um, it was also the re-election of President Barack Obama at that time. Uh, that also kind of tells you how uh, last minute of a student I am that I was applying to schools right as the election was still going on, which mm -hmm. is, you know, so the UC deadline for all those out there listening is November 30th. So get in your apps way before that because they will crash the system on the day of November 30th. Mm. Um, and the election was obviously November 8th or something, right, of that, that time. But I think I was really inspired by that. You know, I was debating at that time between going into um, filmmaking, which I really loved and I love that still. Uh, fun fact is in college, I established the filmmaking club basically at UC Davis. So I ended up kind of doing both. Um, but, you know, I was debating that or doing like government or politics or something. And I thought maybe this is, this is the way to do, it, you know, um, and that's, that's how I got started. And then, you know, I started inter internships and stuff and that really kind of solidified in my mind, like, Hey, this, this isn't too bad. I could do this, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and then, um, yeah, just doing that route, finding out the work is meaningful and that we need more, more and more uh, sane people in office is, is necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, were there any times um, where you just, you were discouraged to continue like the political, <laughs> like your interest in politics? Uh, every day, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> you know, look, it's, there's, some re there's some truth in that is, mm -hmm. is politics can be so challenging mm so punishing half the time, well, I would say 90% of the time. Uh -huh. So you do, I think any sane person does question why they do it, you know? And I, sometimes I, you know, sometimes we ask ourselves when we look at politics as spectators and say, why, how, how, how could these politicians be so careless? Why could they mm -hmm. do these things, right? And we probably get mad at these people. And sometimes I think it's easier that way. If you have no values, if you don't care about anything and you just kind of play the game as sports sort of thing. And I, mm -hmm. there are definitely people out there who do that. And that I don't, I disagree fundamentally with that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there are people out there and I think to, them, to myself like, wow, their mental health must be so much better than mine because mm -hmm. I care about everything. So when things go poorly or we don't get the change we need and we're fighting for these things, it really takes a toll, right? So it's frustrating half the time, especially when you are fighting for some change and um, you know, change innately in the system is very, very difficult. Um, so it is very discouraging, but I would say that, you know, even the small victories are enough to keep, keep us going. And it is a reminder that, you know, we have to keep fighting, even if the odds are always against us, because or else if we give up, we're just giving into, you know, the bad things that are happening in life. And, um, but, you know, it's also important, to, especially young people, to always practice self-care and figure out, step back when you need to. You know, I always... I'm constantly and having my team constantly remind me it's like when not to burn out when not to invest in too much because i do care about a lot of things 
and in politics it's hard to do that when you care about so many different causes uh it's because it's so easy for you to be pulled in a thousand different directions uh but you know if you spread yourself too thin then it's just not possible um mm. so it's difficult but i think you have to work through that discouraging uh, stuff every day yeah for sure so um as you mentioned like previously and we also noticed that you had a lot of internships or like entry-level jobs when first entering the workforce do you have any tips for those high schoolers and college students out there that are looking for political internships yeah um i would say if you're looking for political internships and i really do hope you you prioritize the paid ones uh, especially if you're going to be working almost part-time job you know like mm -hmm. if you go well, first I'll say this, it, you know, if you're looking for internships or part-time work or something like that, really figure out what you want to learn or what you want to get out of experience, because that's just as important as any of it, because you don't want to go into experience for like a summer or a couple months and you don't really know what you're trying to get out of it. Uh, for me, a lot of it was like trying to figure out if this was something I want to do in the future, if I wanted to work here. And that kind of worked out, right? <laughs> in more, more than ways than one. Um, but definitely also prioritize paid ones because I don't believe in unpaid labor like that. You know, obviously if it's, if it's volunteer and it's a couple hours a week, like I think that's fair, but if you're really going to be basically working a part-time job or even a full-time job, um, in politics and government, there is a trend to try to take advantage of that. And I don't agree with that. So I would say, you know, especially if you do not have the economic means to do so, don't do that to yourself. Um, people will exploit you for that, but, and they'll, and they'll, you know, say it's a worthwhile trade for experience, right? Experience or networking or whatever, but take it from me, like at the end of the day, you can't pay your bills or do anything with experience. Um, you can just figure it out, right? Uh, and another tip is um, don't just apply to things that are advertising. And that goes on to um, knowing what experiences you want, because sometimes you can just call up an office or a nonprofit or maybe government office, whatever it is you're trying to look for and say like, hey, do you have any internships this summer? I'm looking. And sometimes that speaks more volumes because a lot of times, government offices sometimes don't advertise they have internships maybe because um, they're not really there's not there's, there's not always formal processes to all these things so if you just ask like hey I'm a student I have these things and I'm really interested can do you, do you have an internship like I'll just stop by right and you know that's all right um, even if people say no right but it's better that you are putting yourself kind of at, at a um, buyer's market more or less you know rather than at the whims of the people hiring so you're like hey, this person looks really cool. I really want to work on their campaign. If they're a New York assembly member or a New York state senator, um, I don't know if they're advertising, but I'm going to go ask. And sometimes that initiative really, really um, sticks with people because I've also hired interns um, or recruited interns, to say, for my offices that I've worked in. And it really shows too, you know, when you show that initiative and that you're interested in it rather than someone who's like, you know, I just need a summer thing to put on my resume, you know, makes you stand out. Uh, but yeah, look for those things. Look for something that's paid. Look for something that experience you can do that you actually want, and you know, show initiative. I think those are good three steps. Mm -hmm. I think that's like um, it's a really important thing to get internship because you get to learn about like how your career would look like. Especially now, I'm also taking part of an internship outside of school, and although it's unpaid, I do learn a lot of technical skills like during my internship. What kind of internship do you do? Um, it's digital marketing and outreach. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so does being a member of, does being Asian and a member of the LGBTQ plus community affect your journey at all? Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so 
so I identify as a member, uh, as a bisexual person, um, and that is challenging for several reasons, right? You face the stigma of, um, of more heteronormative people, uh, meaning, you know, you're straight or you adhere only to those norms, where, you know, if, if I'm seen dating a person that looks female, uh, because it could be non-binary too, right? Um, if I'm dating a person that looks female, then that some people are like, you're not you're not actually queer, you're just, you're straight, you know, or if the reverse even works, if I'm dating a man, then they're like, you're not bi, you're just gay, you know, it, it goes that way, and mm -hmm. there is some of that unhealthy segment within the LGBTQ community as well, um, there are a lot of folks, I think for a lot of valid reasons, who feel, you know, it bi isn't a real thing, or it's a phase, or whatever, you know, there's a lot of that kind of stigma that exists, um, I think you double down with that stigma within the Asian community, where I think on aggregate, I don't think I'm out of line saying it's on aggregate, it's pretty anti-LGBTQ, you yeah. know, like it's mm -hmm. not accepted, it's not seen as a real thing. You know, in my, in my culture as a Chinese uh, American, and even in Chinese culture, you know, gayness or queerness doesn't really exist. I mean, I think things are changing in China and the culture mentality a little bit, but like, you know, it, it's straight up either like denied, like it doesn't exist sort of thing or it's brushed off and that's very difficult, you know, and that having that intersection is very difficult. Um, so, you know, in a district like mine, which is very heavily API, Asia Pacific Islander, uh, there are those questions, right? I do see in some WeChat groups every now and then people are questioning my sexuality or whatever. And I'm like, it's none of your business, you know, mm -hmm. but um, I don't know, they're, they're fascinated by those things. I don't make it a forefront of my policy issues, right? When we campaign, mm -hmm. I campaign on my merits and, you know, I don't just do identity politics as it is, but these things are important to my community, right? Because knowing, you know, why I always say representation matters because it matters more than tokenism, matters more than just saying, oh, there's an Asian person, but knowing that experience, right? Because if you are a member of the Asian community or a member of the LGBT community or both at the same time, like I am, you have a unique experience and outlook in the world that is way different than say a white uh, gay person is or even a straight Asian person will ever feel. It's just the nature of that experience, right? You just, it's, it's not a fault of anyone else, but it's just our, how our society works, right? And having that representation is really important. And yeah, you're gonna always feel judged about it one way or the other. You're gonna be judged whether you're, you're Asian, whether you're young, whether you're gay, all those things happen. Um, I get judged for all three of them at one time, it's great because uh, I'm 25 years old right now and people think I'm 17 or something because mm -hmm. I also am Asian so I will not I will look this way until I'm 52 uh, that's what I tell everyone in a really mm -hmm. nice way you know like some people are like like oh you look like you're 18 or 17 or whatever can you even run for office and I'm like you do you actually know how old I am right now mm -hmm. you know and, and I've also gotten people who think I'm like 45 or something you know so it's like it, I've literally had people when we we're camp campaigning uh, say this thing. I mean, I take it, I take it positively, but they're like, yeah, you're Asian. So I can't quite tell how old you are. So <laughs> you could be anywhere. You could be my daughter's age, 51, or you could be 15. I don't know. <laughs> you know? And I think that, you know, I think we, we have to take all these things um, as positively as possible because mm. we're always going to be judged for these things. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and just like a quick question. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned like the, like being a part of like the Asian community as well as being bisexual, um, you know, that those kinds of judgments, especially considering, you know, our Asian culture. So how did like your family respond, if you don't mind sharing um, like your experiences with that, like, like how did they react uh, when you came out to them or, you know, like did they respond positively or? 
Yeah. Um, I would say just neutrally, which is as good as I would hope for. Mm. Uh, just a neutral response, really. And I think, you know, um, to some extent, I think my family still expects me to to be with a woman or something. And mm. see, but I mean, that's part of it, right? Like if I, as long as I, as, as long as I, the day I start to them, at least, at least they know, uh, da- dating a man or something, right? It's status quo, right? That's mm. kind of the, the hard thing with the Asian community is like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like sexuality is almost proven by action in a way. Mm-hmm. And that's what's hard about being bi. So I mean, like, mm-hmm. it wasn't negative or anything that, that in so far as I could, you know, I felt, but it, it's mm-hmm. just neutral. So I mean, it's mm-hmm. fine. It's fine, you know. Question. Um, so like has being both Asian and part of the LGBT community um, narrow your job opportunities in this field? Um, I would say no. I don't think it narrows your job. I don't think it narrows your job opportunities, uh, especially, well, hopefully, especially in California, right? Um, you know, especially in the realm of politics, right? It, it's all about public perception in a lot of ways, which is sometimes very silly. Um, it can be more challenging for sure. Mm. I don't think it narrows it down. In fact, I think that's why there should be more people of color who are queer who should run, uh, who should run for office and be in, be in government in all levels, right? Mm. Um, but I don't think it, it necessarily hampers you. Um, it's challenging, but I don't think it limits your opportunities. Yeah. Um, so what do you hope to achieve after the election to the state assembly in terms of you know, your own career? Uh, like policy-wise? Yeah, um, yeah, okay. just career-wise, yeah. Oh, career-wise. Uh, well, I'm, so in California, we are uh, term limited to 12 years total in the state legislature, either house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to be focused on surviving as long as possible with my 12 years <laughs> uh-huh. um, because I know we'll be facing tough re-elections and, you know, all yeah. that stuff in the future. Right. It's going to be difficult. You know, the land, political landscape is constantly shifting and changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't take anything of that for granted. So, you know, uh, by the time I'm done with the 12 years, hopefully I will be the ripe old age 37. So there's still a lot to go. You know, I think the world can change a lot. So who knows? But mm-hmm. I'm focused on really getting things done and beyond political career first, mm-hmm. policy yeah. first. Right. Um, so what tasks do you undertake as, you know, in your daily life as a state assembly candidate or like, you know, your day to day right now? Yeah, day to day right now during coronavirus is a little weird with campaigning. Um, right. You can't quite go to events and door to door meet people. And you know, personally, I'm not even gonna do that if you'll offer because I'm just like I don't want to risk it. <laughs> mm-hmm. California, especially in these counties, our rates are pretty high. Mm-hmm. Still, unfortunately, um, so you know, don't want to risk that. Um, so a lot of it's like meeting folks online, digitally, doing calls and greet, you know, things like this, Zoom or calls and talking to folks, mm-hmm. uh, doing a lot of voter outreach remotely as possible. Um, yeah, it's a, it, like, if you, if you were to have, like, a camera crew follow me, it would be so boring, because it would mm-hmm. just, like, be me, me in my home office just making calls and stuff, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's just adapting, adapting and trying to reach out to people as much as possible. I, so, you know, we ran in the primary, thankfully, pre-coronavirus, so we still have a lot of contacts, and I still have, to this day, people calling me and texting me, but, you know, like, people in the district just calling me up and just asking me random questions. It's kind of weird sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, but I like it. It's fun. I mean, it shows I'm accessible, right? Um, right. So yeah. we, we do that, um, and also a thing, fun thing we do, um, fun or, or a curse, you could see either way, is um, every voter in the district has my cell phone now mm-hmm. or has the potential to have it because um, right. it's out there. Mm-hmm. 
so people are are welcome to do that. I I always heartily um, you know encourage people to contact, email, text, whatever, DM me, and people do, and it's great because mm-hmm. I like hearing from people. And sometimes people are actually surprised. They're like, "Oh, is this actually you?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's my it's your cell phone." Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's not that weird. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. So, how do you cope with the struggles of realizing your your identity uh, while also maintaining your mental health in such a high pressure field. Cause I know, like you mentioned, um, yeah. you know, a couple of minutes before, like that it's, it's difficult, you know, when you, when you're in a political field, like when you're, um, yeah, when you're like just in this, in this, you know, realm of politics, um, I think like it's, it's definitely difficult to balance, um, you know, trying to get it out there. Like you're, your career-wise, um, while also like mm-hmm. focusing on yourself. So how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question, right? And it's mm-hmm. a, look, and as someone also who struggles with their mental health every day, and I, I'm always open about that, because right. you know, I think we should normalize that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's challenging, right? Day-to-day, things can feel different. The challenges can be different. Um, there's a lot of things you can't control in life. Um, but I would say, you know, the top thing I tell people is like, and I, I use as much as possible to myself too, is not to make others people doubt, other people's doubt of you into your self-doubt. Because I think especially as young people of color, we all have our own self-doubt that always right. follows us everywhere and haunts right. us. Mm-hmm. And we, ha- we, we don't need other people's who don't understand our lives to judge us and make that doubt into ours, you know, because there will be people in my career field who, uh, we'll always say like, oh, wait, he's too young. How mm. could he know any of these things? Or he's too progressive mm. or he's too gay or he's too Asian, you know, like all these mm. random things. You know, there's some people who would judge me even like, oh, he's not a homeowner or he's not married. How could he know, you know, mm. there are people who will have these silly things because that's what their experience, right? Because a lot right. of people, I think the human judgment is, oh, if they're not like me, how can they think like me, right? Which is mm. fair, fair if you want to, if you want everyone to think like you, but um, you know, it's, it's understanding that their doubt will be their doubt. And mm-hmm. then you have to fashion that as accordingly to, to your job performance, right? Because I do always want to be open and receptive to what people think, even though mm-hmm. uh, I'm a pretty progressive person. Like I always say the only radical thing about my political beliefs is radical inclusion. Like I just want to include you and listen to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if sometimes the things you say are absolutely nuts, you know, mm-hmm. um, I'll try to listen to you mm-hmm. if you'll listen to me. Uh, so you just have to really compartmentalize that right because mm. the world will always say things about us in whatever field you're going in you know whether it's in 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 tech or in marketing or in public sector work someone will think something of you mm. based on their own experiences and unfortunately especially as young people of color we have to work twice as hard to prove them wrong right um, but we should be focusing on our own stuff right and i sometimes i think i think this is especially true um maybe it's especially true i don't think these were i'm also asian but i think of asian young people is our self-doubt we have a lot of that. And I think mm. it also makes us stronger though. Because when you have self-doubt where you're like, oh, I don't, you know, you get imposter syndrome or something and you're like, oh, I don't really know how to do this or I don't know what that is. I think it motivates us to learn about that, to do more about it, right? And it's, mm-hmm. it's a motivating self-doubt. And that's why I say we should keep that self-doubt to a healthy amount, uh, but don't, don't let people's like hatred or bigotry towards you turn into your doubt, right? Because it's just nonsense at the end of the day. Yours is based on what you genuinely know. You, if you feel not prepared for something, then that will probably drive you to be more prepared, right? right? Mm-hmm. Or make up for things 
uh, it's not just these these callous superficial um, judgments on yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually that you kind of mentioned um, a little bit about our next question, which is about <laughs> imposter syndrome. Yeah. So were there any times that you felt out of place or, you know, experienced imposter syndrome and how did you cope with that? Oh, all the time. Mm -hmm. I feel all the time. Um, there especially are instances. Okay, here, I guess I'll tell you this one. This one is mm -hmm. the most, um, I, I, and I'll feel it a lot more, but when I walk into like set political settings or settings where they like expect, um, I phrase it this way, you know, when you have older folks who are used to your Congress people, your state politicians or whatever, they look mm -hmm. a certain way, they talk a certain way, right? right. And then I show up mm. and I'm like this really young queer Asian dude. Right. And then they're like, you know, there. I'm sure there are people who will be like, Where's, where's the assembly member? Like there will yeah, be people it. that yeah. do that. So mm -hmm. I feel a lot of imposter syndrome when I'm like, hey, I'm your democratic candidate mm. for the state assembly. And then I always, even if they're perfectly fine, they don't have this, I always like look into the person's eye and I wait mm -hmm. for the interaction where they go, what? <laughs> like they, they get really confused. But most right. people generally, I mean, I would say mm -hmm. like 90% of people do not do that. Right. But I always have that doubt, right? Where I'm always mm. thinking, and this is talking about the self-doubt part, right? Mm -hmm. I always think they're going to immediately judge me. But most people in the Bay Area are like, okay, cool. You know, they don't really like think too much about it. Or they're mm -hmm. like, oh, wow, that's really good. Like they think of it as an extra positive right. thing, right? Yeah. I haven't initially had too many where people are like, what? You're not, mm -hmm. you're not him. You're joking, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure it will happen even more so when we're in office and I will walk into settings and someone will mistake me. Because I've heard of this from other young electeds. It's like sometimes they'll mistake um, elected official as like an intern or something or a staffer or something and mm -hmm. I'm like no I am I'm, I'm a person you know that's going to happen I'm sure it'll happen a lot more but you know I think that feeds into foster syndrome but mm -hmm. um I think especially because I've been back to the capital a couple times since the election but uh walking in there and just feeling like oh wow I'm going to be one of those important people you know like because mm -hmm. there's like oh there's a congressperson or whatever you know they look that way and I'm just be like I'm just, just me Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think am I supposed to look important or feel important? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're, I'm always going to feel that way. I think mm -hmm. I feel it every day. Mm -hmm. I think like as teens, imposter syndrome is definitely like a thing like around us as well, especially since we're in school and like as Asian, there's always the stereotype that you have to be like good at math or like go to a top school, pursue like a STEM field thing. So yeah. Um, so like with the presidential election coming up, your election <laughs> coming up, big and small elections around the nation. Why do you personally consider voting important and what impact do you think um, youth voters or Gen Z voters can have on US politics? Yeah, um, I think voting, I would say voting is incredibly important, but it is also the bare minimum and it's important for all of us in our generation, because I'm an old, I'm an old Gen Zer. Um, all of us in our generation to really realize that, right? The moment, the summer, at least, the, just focusing, laser focusing, just on the summer we are all living through right now of all the crazy things that are happening, is a fundamental um, accumulation of all the bad things that have happened because we have let all these bad leaders into office who have made all these poor decisions. Like all this thing is like a long time coming, you know, it was like a slow moving train wreck. Um, and to realize that voting, even though sometimes your options may not be the best options you want, 
are so important mm. because ultimately you are saying my voice, my decision-making matters because ultimately at the end of the day, I hear a lot of young people who say, oh, I don't want to vote because I don't care about Donald Trump or I don't care about Joe Biden, right? And, you know, in a state like California where it's going to go blue no matter what, uh, there are, you know, people who also feel more and more disenfranchised, right? But I would always caution them to say, there are so many things on your ballot that affect your daily life even more than the president, as we have now experienced in these past four years. Um, like, who are you going to decide to be your city council member? Who's going to like decide if there's going to be a street light on your street and if it's going to be dark or not? Who's going to be your school board member who says, oh, we're going to have sex positive education or not, you know, or who's going to, sometimes you might be electing your law enforcement, your chief uh, police chief or something like that. That happens over here too. Mm -hmm. um, so there's so many important things that are on your ballot. And if you can't do the bare minimum of just Googling and researching some stuff really quick, because you have all the information at our fingertips now, it's not difficult anymore that's such a disgrace, right? Because I always say this to people too, I kind of vote shame them, vote shame them, but there are literally thousands and thousands of people who died for the right to vote in this country. We began with such a small franchise where it was only land owning white men. And you know, it was only a hundred years ago that white women were able to vote even. Mm. And we had to keep expanding that franchise over and over and over again. And if you can't do the bare minimum, and I say to those people, if you're not voting, then I hope you're doing something even more, you know, because there, I hope you're showing up to demonstrations, to protests. I hope you're like actively organizing with people or doing something. Cause that's my only excuse for saying why you shouldn't vote. Cause I think even in New York, right, you have mail-in voting now and in California, everyone has mail-in voting. It's so easy and it's the bare minimum. I want, I want especially young people to at least say, I matter enough at least to fill out this form and say my vote matters because also if that doesn't convince you, you know, the only way you'll ever make establishment politicians pay attention to you is if, if you show up on the data database as voting, right? Because they won't send you stuff. They won't cater to demographic because that's why they always look at those numbers. They say, oh, young people don't vote. So they focus on older people and they focus on those issues, right? But if you make your voice heard the smallest way possible by voting, you can make a difference. Like even if you literally literally if you even turn in your ballot and you mark nothing in it you at least have voted you know actually that means something you abstaining on the votes has actually said something because that will show up because it'll be like a thousand voters voted but only 900 people voted for me so what happened you know something happened there so it all matters so you know if you're not voting i hope you're doing something even more extraordinary because voting is the bare bare minimum please please vote november 3rd there's so yeah. much at stake yes um and just you know i think nowadays um, especially you know these past couple months um, with you know the rise of the black lives matter movement and you know the death of you know george floyd and you know so many others i think a lot of younger people especially our age um even though they're not old enough to vote yet i think a lot of people are seeing right. the urgency to you know educate ourselves and um educate you know family members and friends and i just think that's just so amazing how you know these past couple months like that's all been such a big part of, um, yeah, just everything that's been happening. Yeah, so yeah. it's definitely really, really encouraging to see that, um, especially, you know, in our media and, you know, being at home and everything, you know, always being on social media, it's really, really encouraging to see that. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think especially with all the protests that have happened, right. you know, yeah. see very viscerally, Mm -hmm. these are the laws that are prohibiting things from changing or these are the people that are standing in the way mm -hmm. and it must be so frustrating for people who are under 18 where you're like wow i do all this protesting all this stuff and at the end of the day these old people are still not going to vote 
the way you mm-hmm. know it's yeah, it's very frustrating yeah. you know and i'm glad in new york i think i saw there was a lot of good legislative action uh, in california yes. we did not unfortunately mm. very ironic uh, but you know you need to use your voice one way or the other you know and if you're not going to use it someone else is going to take it for granted mm. definitely as um members of the density community that we can't vote this upcoming election or yeah. generally any elections um going to protest and um, speaking out our voice is most important for us. So other than like the election that's really important this year, there's also like the census. So Mm -hmm. what's your view on completing the census and um, how can it affect the API community's future? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, everyone needs to fill the census as much as possible. I'm glad in my area in California, it's relatively high uh, response rate. Um, but why it is important that everyone completes the census is because that is the way that we allocate all federal resources in this country. It's a little antiquated, frankly, but it is the way we do things. So it goes all the way up from uh, uh, federal representation, you know, determines how many seats in Congress we have, or you know, even the state seats, my seat is affected by this too, down to how many federal dollars go to your schools, go to your public health systems, all these things and even roads to some degree, uh, it matters, right? Because if we aren't shown by the official census that we exist in these communities, how can we have effective political representation and effective resources to help our community, right? And there, I know there is a lot of fear right now, unfortunately, because, you know, if you live on the fringes of, of the margin society, you may not trust putting your information to the government or something, but you know, by law right now, the census data is not supposed to be given to any other federal agencies or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's only to know as a count, right? Um, but it's so important to be counted, so important to know that, or to have the federal government know you exist, mm-hmm. you know, behind just the voting, uh, because right. there are also, it's really, it's really also important is, especially amongst the Asian Pacific Islander community, right? A lot of folks that we probably know aren't actually citizens, right? They're green card holders uh, and other types of visas, and it still matters that they get counted. Because it's mm-hmm. counting all the people that exist, not all the voters, not all the citizens. It's about all the people that exist. And that's how, mm-hmm. it, how it ought to be. Yes, definitely. I think completing the census is like really important. Like just earlier this year was I introduced to um, this thing called the census and um, yeah. my family telling me like, you know, why it's important that you complete the census in oh, your, your future. Family? Yes, um, actually. I had to fill it out for my family. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because um, they were telling me how, you know, like, when you fill out the census, it's, like, it, the federal, like, government, it um, affects, like, your state's funding and, like, right. how much funding you get per person. Mm-hmm. And, like, you should always fill that out. Every 10 years it comes, you should do it. Yeah. It's so great like, that your parents are <laughs> Yeah. So what would you like to just, what you would do like to say to the Gen Z listening to you right now who may have lost faith in the political system due to the fact that they belong to a minority community and they feel like they are at an automatic disadvantage because of their race? Yeah, um, it's what I would say to people that feel left out, disillusioned by this current political system we have is I will tell you, you don't, you're not alone. The majority of Americans do, whether you're a Gen Z, whether you're a queer Gen Z, or surprisingly, if you think, uh, or maybe it's your surprise, if you're like um, a conservative uh, person in Alabama or something, you are all feeling the same thing. 
is fundamentally the system that was designed that is governing us right now was not designed for us. I bring it back to, you know, framers and everything, right? It was built for a system of landowning white people. Mm-hmm. It's very explicit in the constitution. I mean, in the, uh, in the founding documents, right? Not, mm-hmm. not only the constitution because like we had the three fifths compromise, right? Which is great. It said black people are three fifths of a person. It's literally mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's gone now, obviously, but look, the system we have, is old, it's antiquated, and you're gonna have old and antiquated people who perform that way. And that's why it's so important for everyone who feels the system is working for us to rise up and change it, right? Whether it's through voting, whether it's through protests, whether it's through petitioning, whether it's through organizing, there are so many ways to do that. But the worst thing you could do is give up. Because every time one of us gives up, it's just more power to the people who are making it feel worse and worse. You know, they, they're fine, you know, the less people, you know, certain political parties, the less people that vote, the better it is for them, right? If it's only a certain demographic of people who tend to be older, who tend to be more conservative, who tend to be whiter, who just tend to vote for these certain things and these certain people, they will get away with it, right? And that's why we see across the country, even in California, right? We have an incredibly, I'll take, for example, the San Francisco Bay Area. We have an incredibly diverse community, very strong Asian population, very strong Latinx population, and yet almost all the representatives across the board are still old white people. Like, how did that mm-hmm. happen? You know, or how is mm-hmm. it still possible? It's because people feel so left out. They sort of feel so left out, so burnt out. And like I said earlier, it's like, it's so easy to feel discouraged every day. I don't blame you, but you have to, um, you have to fight through it, you know? And if you can be the person who does that, if you can use your privilege, your time, whatever it is to do that, it would help everyone, right? Because we're all in this movement together. And if we can really truly accomplish a political revolution together, that is how we're going to make the system feel radically inclusive to everyone. Whether it's some, you know, whether it's a, like I said, a queer Gen Z person or someone you think would wear a red hat. We, I think we have more things in common than, than we, we like to think sometimes. You know, we all feel fundamentally disillusioned by the system that has left us behind. Its economic structure doesn't work for us because in the end, not to be too political, but it's like, you know, we have so many things in common but sometimes it's these kind of superficial issues that the political parties have put in front of us that say, oh, we're so different. We can't relate to each other. But it's like, if you really talk to someone, and I've done this in the campaign, you know, where, you know, I've talked to really conservative people or very liberal people. I think fundamentally their concerns are the same. Sometimes their solutions or their scapegoats are very different, right? But if we can really come to consensus about saying, well, this is, this is the problem. Now let's figure out the solutions, right? We, we can do that. We can figure it all out together. And that's why as Gen Z, it's so important you not give up uh, because you you know, our generation is going to be so much stronger and so much politically more woke, I think, than, than mm-hmm. every other generation combined. And it's really incumbent upon us to solve every major issue mm-hmm. because if the millennials, the boomers, all these other people, they don't solve climate change, they don't solve racial inequality, they don't solve economic inequality, we, we have to live with it, you know? And I don't, I wouldn't ever sit down or lay down and just accept the really really bad mess they gave us we have to mm-hmm. fix it unfortunately mm-hmm. that's our role yes yes if we want if like if you want change in government policy what's going around in the world right now you should always fight for it so um to wrap up do you have any final message you'd like to give to young members of the asian community across the western world who may be interested in political fields yeah i would say if you're interested in politics whether it's running for office or working for elected officials or working government or even nonprofits, you should do it. 
Um, it will oh, it's not going to always be glamorous. It's not going to always be easy. It's probably going to be painful a lot of times, but it's so important that we have progressive young Asians in office and in every level of government because that common experience is going to make us stronger, right? There is always a temptation to just do what's good for me personally, but we need as many people as possible who are altruistic and willing to step up for the society at large, right? Be, or else we risk repeating what has happened in this country to Asian Americans. You know, in California, I'm always remi- I always remind this fact is the, the Chinese Exclusion Act originated in the mm-hmm. California state, state legislature, and then mm-hmm. it became the first national race-based law. We didn't have any before that. Um, well, or a country of origin law. We had a race-based law. We didn't have a country of origin law, um, uh, you know, uh, alluding to slavery, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Well, even then, I guess they didn't acknowledge that slavery. You know, anyways, um, but you know what I mean? Like, if we stay silent and we stay complicit in the system, there is nothing that prevents us backsliding. Like, the, the arc of progress is not something that takes for granted or inevitable. Um, as some people like to think, um, we have to keep fighting for it and you have to put your body, your time and your, your mental energy into these things. So mm-hmm. as young people, especially young Asians, please, please get involved. There are so many of us out there who need the role models to do so. And I didn't have a lot of role models to go off of too. And I'm, I'm fortunate, I'm blessed that some people think I am. I don't think I am. Uh, but if you ever need, you know, if you ever need guidance or anything, there are so many people out there. Um, you can always reach me on my social media. I'll try to get back to you as quickly as possible. You know, a lot of people do talk, contact me um, on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. I'm at vote Alex Lee. And on Twitter, I'm at vote Alex Lee 2020. So get in touch with someone when you're ready, run for office. Thank you so much, Alex. Um, it was definitely really encouraging to talk to you. It's also, like you said, it's really encouraging to see someone who is in the AAPI community, um, you know, in in the political field it's it's really cool to see that and also at only 25 you know if you are elected you'll not only be the youngest state legislator in almost a century but also the first openly openly bisexual one so it's been really inspiring to talk to you and i'm sure that you know our audience who's listening right now are going to feel really empowered um, and hopeful for the future in government yeah yeah. Thank you so much for having me on one of your first episodes. Yes, I'm really thank honored. you so much. Thank oh, you. yes. I don't think we mentioned this, but this is this is our first episode of oh, awesome. Even our series. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alex. Um, and yeah. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Asians in the Spotlight. To stay updated with Asian advocates and Asians in the Spotlight, be sure to follow Asian advocates on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, as well as follow Asians in the Spotlight on Instagram. That is it for now, and be sure to catch our second episode of this series, Asians in the Political Field, next Saturday.